Welcome to the Two Cent Dad podcast, where we interview dads to discuss their journeys of intentional fatherhood while doing work they care about and living a life of purpose. I'm your host, Mike Sudik. I don't know. I, I'm just going to like, you know, layer on as much love as I can. I'm not going to like worry so much about the principles of teaching and stuff like that that we're using. I mean, I pay attention to a little of this stuff, like I said, but I'm going to just err on just love and, and talking to her and trying to be part of her life. And hopefully that's, that's going to make the difference. Nate Cotney is on the podcast today. Nate is a two-time Y Combinator alumni. He worked for the Obama re-election campaign in 2012, and now he runs two companies, Draft, which is a tool that offers version control and collaboration for writers, and the CRM Highrise. Let's jump in and talk with Nathan. You have a very successful background, you know, Y Combinator twice, um, you worked on the Obama campaign, you now are running two successful companies, High Rise, which is formerly with 37 Signals, and Draft. Um, so had had a string of successes, I know, um, but just curious if you could kind of share a little bit about where you're at now and, and reflecting back. I don't want to take too much time to kind of cover no. all of your past, yeah. but yeah. if you could look back now, I want to start off with what, what would you say is one of your biggest successes um, to get you to kind of where you are today? Like what, what is one of the things that you've done? That is kind of a tribute. I know you talk a lot about like writing is a big thing that led you to create draft, but curious if what, what how do you answer that question, Nathan? Yeah, I mean it's uh, I've, I've done yeah a string of things now. It's like yeah, it's been like you know I started my first business at the end of two thousand five with Y Combinator, uh, you know so that was like twelve years ago now. Um, I would say though, you know uh, I, I'd say the biggest thing that's that's helped kind of push my career. Um, has been a focus on things like audience building and writing, even outside of doing projects. I think a lot of people worry about. I think they do it kind of backwards. They 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 come up with with an idea and they worry about about implementing an idea and they, um, you know, if they're not working on that idea, they just kind of sit at home or and not just sit at home, but they just kind of stay focused on their job and maybe just thinking about an idea and and it and it becomes like a thing that takes years before they ever actually you know figure out how to build the thing that they were thinking about because maybe they've got to kind of go back to school or maybe they have to learn how to program or meet a a business partner that that really helps kind of propel them to do that idea and it's like they waste all this time they could have been doing something like building up an audience because you can build up an audience you don't have to have an idea you can build up an audience and, and teach people how to do the thing that you already do at your day job or whatever I mean there's tons of interesting ways to start meeting people online and writing and talking and getting people to follow you on Twitter. There's a really great article I think Tim Ferriss talks about a lot. It's Kevin Kelly. I think he used to be the senior editor, editor-in-chief at, at Wired Magazine. He's got a really great post on like, find a thousand true fans. Yeah. If you can find a thousand true fans, they're going to propel whatever the hell you figure out you want to do later on. And so I think you know, like the the biggest thing I've that has propelled me now is just focusing on writing. Writing helped me, you know, as soon as I was done with the Ob- I had done the Obama campaign actually as a way to kind of like get out of entrepreneurship for a while. The second thing I had started with Y Combinator failed pretty miserably. And so I was kind of like scrounging around for another idea. And then the Obama campaign came up and I'm like, I'll just do that because it was just like a six month or nine month commitment. I forgot how long I spent on that. Um, but when I got done with it, it was like, what am I going to do now? And so it was like, well, I'll, I'll do draft. Like writing's important to me. I'll, I'll create some writing software. But I had like 
in this audience already to launch it into. And so it was like a lot less effort to kind of accomplish something like that because I had been focusing on building up this audience even when I was just working on the Obama campaign and not something I, you know, not like a business idea. Um, so that's, it's a huge, huge yeah. thing that I think people kind of need to kind of think about stuff maybe a little bit in reverse, like build the audience first and then, and then worry about, you know, executing on all the projects you want to execute on or, or reprioritize a little bit. Is that around a certain subject matter, would you say? Or is it just, like you said, fans, are they fans of you personally and they think, hey, Nate's really cool, I want to follow him? Or It's been some of both. I mean, I've, I've written all over the place. Um, you know, I, I started writing a lot about the company I was working on and, and working, and I would write a little bit about marketing. Then I got into a lot of just writing about open source code, stuff that we were, you know, doing as developers. And so the audience was, you know, was spread out, you know, people who were marketing, people who were writing software. Um, You know, I was writing some of the first, Ruby on Rails is a popular, you know, website, web development framework. I was writing a lot of you know, plugins and things when it first came out. And I was kind of writing about that. And then, you know, when the Obama campaign was over, I was just like writing about just, I don't know, success stories of other companies and, and just kind of motivational things. So it's, it's all over the place. I don't, um, you know, I just like, I like helping people. And so that means technologically, strategically, or even just motivationally. So I'm kind of all over the place in terms of a niche or subject matter when it comes to the types of people I'm trying to, you know, uh, create an audience around, I guess. So what would you say, flip that, what is the biggest failure you feel like you've had in that string of, of kind of gigs that you've done the last, what, 10 years now? Yeah, it, it, it really was that second stint in Y Combinator. It was like, so I did Y Combinator in 2000, at the end of 2005, we created a business and we were able to figure out, we didn't, we didn't really, we had no idea what we were doing. And, and we, um, we originally were kind of trying to build something for ourselves, but we realized the audience to that product was more like big enterprise companies and even like the U.S. federal government used it. When I came though into the, the, second, um, the second batch of Y Combinator, we built these like online games. It was a company called City Posh and it was these branded online games. You could start a game. I was really interested in the technology of games, especially mm-hmm. like I was looking at Facebook. Everybody was building games, but they're all building them in Flash. So I was like, well, I can build some of these games in HTML. And so I just started building things. I built my own version of Bejeweled. Mm-hmm. Have you ever played Bejeweled yeah. before? <laughs> so I built my own version of Bejeweled in HTML. And I'm like, okay, now what can I do with this? And so it, I just started brainstorming. And one idea that came, we came up with with my partner was like, well, we could ask, we could, we could create a bunch of these games and we could go out to businesses and ask them if they want to take their images, things like we could go to say the gap and take images in their catalog, their sweaters, their logos, their models, et cetera, and put them in the game. So instead of jewels, you could play bejeweled with images of the gap logo or sweaters or whatever was in their catalog that, that season. And we did this, we built a suite of games. And in the end, like, so we put this through Y Combinator, and I remember like we we went we got to demo day, we had been working on this, and I we got to demo day, and none of the investors wanted, no one gave a shit what we were doing. I talked to Ashton Kutcher that day; <laughs> he couldn't care less what we were doing. It was like so embarrassing. Like all my peers were having some really great conversations and signing deals that day, and we were like the super unpopular kids like no one wanted to dance with us or something like we were at (laughs) in this you know auditorium or whatever you know talking to these investors or trying to talk and it's like we were just kind of we were just kind of walking around and like nobody's coming up to us yet there's like lines to see some of our peers it was just 
it was awful. It was an awful feeling. And when, when we got done with it, I kind of like regrouped and kind of realized we had put too much focus on uh, on that demo day and on getting a round of investing. And when it when the investment round didn't come out, that's not the end of the world. That should never be the end of the world. But for us, it kind of was because like I don't think our heart was into selling this games product. My I don't I don't have a passion for games. I don't really play many <laughs> games myself. And the sales process was so long to try to convince people that this might be useful that it's like my heart just wasn't in it so like it was just it was just that was a a set of the wrong priorities and the wrong things I focused on from things like you know trying to build something just for other people um you know try to I we focused too much on investors before we really had I think a solid business Mm -hmm. in place uh which is a mistake a lot of people trying to raise money do um and uh, yeah, so that was that was embarrassing. Just because on many levels we failed at Y Combinator, we failed in front of a lot of investors, failed in front of Ashton Kutcher. Um, <laughs> that sucked. But the lessons I think really turned. I don't know. I, I came out of it I think a lot stronger. Just kind of realizing what's important to me, realizing it's important to work on products that I feel kind of a deep connection to. Um, you know, that's why I made Draft and the stuff we do at High Rise is a lot about like you know working on features that make us get a lot closer to the same problems our customers have. And I think we're doing a much better job than I could have ever, I don't know. I think, I think failing like that helped really, you know, educate me in, in building better products and businesses. Yeah. So I think that that's really good information. I think that's common. Like I've heard you talk about, you know, scratching your own itch type of thing and solving a problem that, that's close to you. So how, how I'm curious how, so where did, where did having kids fall in all of that? And then how did that change your outlook? I mean, it sounds like you had a background that was, you know, you're on this kind of serial entrepreneur string and then I, you know, correct me if I'm wrong. I think you have pretty young kids. And so in these different stints that you did at these different companies, you were kind of philosophically changing your outlook on wanting to build something that you care about. How, how did, when you had kids change that and then, and, and all of that, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so there's, there's a couple aspects of it. So I, I only, I have a, uh, she's, she's two years in May. So that makes, she's, what is it? How far away from from May? Right. So she's like 21 months old. Um, you know, almost, almost two years old now. And, um, so, so a lot of this stuff, things like the Obama campaign, I didn't, I didn't have to take a, a child through that because that would have been rough. The, like things like the Obama campaign, like everybody is just working really short term, but it's like really insane hours and it's just nuts. Yeah. It's it's hard being a parent and going through that. I knew a lot of parents who were asked to participate in it because they were good technologists and they just had to say no. You know, it's just like I've got a new child. I we can't do this. I can't I can't commit to something like this. And, and it makes sense not to be able to commit to a a political campaign with with you know being a new parent. Um, so one of the interesting things that I did um, when when I got done with the Obama campaign and 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 we were um, well, so one of the interesting things I've been kind of doing is I wanted to kind of look at my audience. I wanted to look at the people who were um, you know we just talked about like building an audience and how that's important. I actually used one of these tools. I forgot I forgot whose tool it was. It might have been Moz.com. They've got like a Twitter. A Twitter kind of profile tool. It just kind of like uh, helps you kind of segment like who your your audience is on Twitter. Mm-hmm. And I, I put in, you know, after now years of building this audience, and this was just recently, like I don't know, a couple of years ago, I had put in, um, my, you know, use use the tool to kind of see who the the profiles were of, of people um, in Twitter following me, and like the number one maybe the number two or number one kind of like tag cloud kind of thing of people following me or it were fathers. 
That's it was cool. Just, yeah, it was really cool. And it was like, you know, maybe maybe the second one was like, you know, developers or something, but it was like a lot of fathers. It was like, whoa, that's really interesting. Like, I, I didn't really think about that, that now, you know, a lot of the folks following me are, are new fathers like me. And like, it just, it it was interesting because then it, it that started to focus a little bit more about what I guess I was thinking about in terms of like even the messages I try to share or like you said, you know, you, you, you've seen kind of some of the stuff I've been writing about on high rise and I'll share a family photo. And that's kind of influenced by the fact that like, you know what, I know a lot of fathers and mothers and new parents are following me on Twitter. I'm going to start sharing more of that because there's a lot of interesting lessons there mm-hmm. about running a business and, and also managing parenthood, yeah. um, which was something I kind of shied away before. I mean, I haven't been at this for very long, but it was like something that wasn't just natural. Like, you know what? I'm going to talk about parenthood a lot and share photos of my family. But what I realized, like, hey, a lot of us are are putting this out on Twitter and and, and we're all there's a lot of parents out there who are interested in a lot of this stuff. Yeah. Um, it it kind of dawned on me to kind of start, start sharing things like that. Um, in terms of it shaping how I build the business a little bit, I don't know. It, it's definitely like it, – it's definitely like focused me. I used to draft when before I had Addison. She, um, I was up till three, four in the morning, slept till eleven o'clock. Now it's like you know, I all my priority of the day is like I want to wake up with her, have breakfast. I want to you know be there you know for her to go to sleep. And if there's any moment, you know, she's at daycare right now. But if there's any moment she's at home, like I'm not working. Like so, it's it's it really prioritizes the situation. And so a lot of the things that I think about today are things like the 80-20 rule, the Pareto, uh, if that's how you pronounce it, principle, Mm -hmm. where I'm really trying to find things that I can focus on that is going to have the biggest impact because I don't want to waste time. Um, And so that having a child really just focus that, like do not waste time. Like when I have time, when she's away and and I have some work hours, like I've really got to focus on the stuff that's going to have impact. I really don't spend a lot of time now surfing the internet or screwing around. If I do, it's usually for a purpose of like educating myself on on something or trying to find something new to write about. Yeah, Uh, I spend a lot less time just wasting uh, time. Mm -hmm. Uh, so yeah, that that's yeah that that's big. You know, it's just a for. I think we all go through that, right? It's just yeah. like a forcing function. You just have to figure out how to make work and being with your kid work. So yeah, it it makes you more efficient. You know, it's it's a net yeah. positive for your business and for you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it and it's not as bad as I thought. You know, I, I went into parenthood like freaked out. I was. I mean, <laughs> we you know we waited a long time to do this, and I was really nervous. Um, and it's it's awesome. It's hard. I mean, as you know, my God, it's hard. It's still not <laughs> something I'm, I'm like recommending to everybody because I don't know. Like, it's hard. Um, Quite the contrary. I, I don't think you should recommend. I don't think everyone should be right. parents. <laughs> no, they should not. No, yeah. But it's it's so great. Um, and I don't know. Yeah, it's it's been it's been awesome. And and there's some interesting things like. You know, she's still so young, so I have no idea how it's how it's other gonna ch- how it's gonna change some other things. But I just bought a book the other day about design. Um, it, I was just kind of interested in the history of this consumer products company, and like I just caught her kind of just watching some of these photos, and she was interested in like all the pages I was turning to. Like she's like, "What's that? What are they doing there?" And it was just I don't know. It just it's just so fascinating now, and maybe like well, that's kind of part of my life that I can kind of bring into her world a little bit. It's kind mm-hmm. of nice sharing that with with someone else. Yeah. So what do you guys do? Do you guys do anything special as far as like 
teaching, exposing her to things or like, I mean, she's so young, obviously, but um, what has been your thinking, like your philosophy on parenting, if you will? There's a really, uh, man, I've already forgotten about it. It's like, I don't know. It's crazy what parent, like new babies do, right? Like my brain is like mush most of the time. (laughs) Like I, I have a hard time remembering what I did to prepare even just like those two years ago. But I, I, you know, I read all these books about like, um, you know, uh, you know, there, there's a, uh, I forget what it was called, like Brain Rules or something like that. It's a really interesting book that was written for adults. And then he, he wrote it, he wrote another version for kind of parents and children, kind of like brains of children. And it was, it was, a, I'll, I'll send you a link to it. I'm, I'm sure I can find it. But um, it was a fascinating book about, just, you know, a lot of it seems like common sense, but it was just a lot like, you know, keep keep things like screens away from them. You know, worry about like giving them space to kind of explore on their own. You know, like the helicopter parenting is like, and spoon feeding knowledge and games and stuff doesn't work. They've got to like bump into stuff on their own and ex- be able to explore on their own. Um, but it also like things like talking. We talk to her constantly. Like, mm-hmm. I, you know, it's just like um, – that's been that's been one of the biggest things I've, I've kind of focused on is just talking to her like she's just an uh, adult, not an adult, but you know someone someone who I'd expect to understand, who you know isn't really understanding half the stuff you tell her. Yeah. Um, but she, it's I I think it's I mean you know it's one of those things like what's nature and what's nurture, but like she's it's incredible like she's talking and like in crazy right now, and and it's it's funny how much stuff she's just kind of picked up that like. How did you – she can complete like – I can count sequences of numbers and then she can complete them. And it's just like I, I would walk around with her when I pick her up from daycare and I just sing – I turn the alphabet into a numbers song. So the same tune, I'll go one, two, three, four, five. It, it's, I, just, I just count numbers to her. And it, it seems like it worked. Like it's like I don't know if you're paying attention, but now she knows the freaking numbers. And it's <laughs> – uh, so it's just – yeah, it's just a lot of talking to her. Um, and uh, – yeah, I don't know. That's that's been a big one to me. Um, and a lot of the other stuff is just like I, I actually wrote to uh, one of the parents who I really respect who I've just kind of been watching kind of uh, on, the, on the side because he's been involved in my life is Paul Graham, the, oh, yeah. the founder of Y Combinator, and his wife, Jessica Livingston. They have two kids together. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I've got to see them a little bit. I've known Paul now since 2005. And, like, you know, they got married and had kids during this time I've – been in and out of their life like we're not close but you know i've done y comedy now a couple times you know i I get i i go in and out of kind of their orbit um and i i have gotten to see kind of like how he's they've been raising their kids and their kids are super smart and they're they're you know they're when they're uh oldest now still really young but he's like super into airplanes and i just really like the dynamic they had and I, i actually wrote jessica i'm like you know what have you guys done you know what was your your thing that like help raise such smart and and kids and and she's like nothing like you know like we we don't even read any books like we just give them like all the love we can and like that's it and it's just like i don't know that that's been kind of a really poignant email that i got from her that it was just like i don't know i i'm just gonna like you know layer on as much love as i can i'm not gonna like worry so much about the principles of teaching and stuff like that that we're using. I mean, I pay attention to a little of this stuff, like I said, but I'm going to just err on just love and, and talking to her and trying to be part of her life. And hopefully that's, that's going to make the difference, but it, yeah. it, 
so far so good. Things really <laughs> happy with with how things are going. So. Twenty one months down, and we're good. Yeah, exactly. Sailing, sailing good. Exactly. <laughs> That's uh, awesome. Yeah. So how would you distill that into, so if you had a buddy that was about to, his wife or partner was about to have a baby, you know, what would you say to them? Like, if you had to give them like one piece of advice, what would you give them, Nathan? Oh man, that's tough. Um, Besides just don't freak out. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I really, I really think there's something to this just, I, even from a scientist, like I've read so many articles now that simply just talking to your child, I forgot, it's either in the Gladwell book or maybe Gladwell talks about it's in some of these other books. There's all this research about like, what is it? It's like the 30 million word rule or something like that. That like if a kid gets 30 million words by the age of five or something like that, there's some millions of number of words that you, that a child hears, not, not, unique words but just like in speech and and someone's talking to them and like television doesn't count i don't think the radio counts like it's got to be like direct conversation to a child um if once they get that they go they they reach some sort of like uh i don't know plateau they cross or, or they cross some sort of threshold that like in later in life like all of these things like their opportunities have improved, their IQ is better, the way they get through school is better. And then all these kids that don't reach that, no matter like how hard and, and things that they're given later in life, they like have they struggle. And mm. so it's I really think the whole like making sure you're reading books to your kid, like crazy, even if you're not getting something back, right? Like she doesn't care what we're reading here. I used to read Malcolm Gladwell's books and I would read her the New York Times. She would just sit on my lap and I would just have the newspaper. She she doesn't, like <laughs> months old, like she isn't, you're not getting anything from doing this, but I I think it's making a difference. And, and I don't think I'm, it seems like there's a lot of research pointing to stuff like this. So I don't know, that's in, in the, uh, in the in the in the advice um, in the advice part of like if we yeah, if you want to be really like kind of nerdy about advice and talk about science and stuff that would be up there that that's a big one like just try to focus on reading as much as you can even if you don't think you're they're getting much out of it because I, I think they are in more than more than we realize yeah that's awesome hey curious going yeah. back to your kind of founder experience um, it seems like you you were you you know you had these these different things that you started, and I don't know where you were at in terms of like wanting to grow them to be massive, but I know that now you're with High Rise, and so I know you've written about having a lot of identity with what Jason and David Hunter Hansen kind of preach of this myth of a lifestyle business, but can be very profitable, um, kind yeah. of the anti-startup um, philosophy. And curious if that changed, you know, before you had kids, you know, your child or um, where you're at now and like, do you still have a desire to grow something that's massive, um, startup scale, you know, and, and kind of yeah. where your thinking's at on that? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, there's been a lot of things that have influenced that. Like when, when I started Y Combinator the first time, there was definitely like, I mean, Y Combinator has changed a lot since it, since the early days, but even in the early days, there was definitely a focus on like, how can you make a big company? And I didn't really care. Even back then, I was like, I don't really care about a big company. I just want to make something that like stands the test of time. And then something, I don't know what happened to me. It was maybe almost like, you know, we built a business. Um, you know, I, I don't like this term lifestyle business because there's a lot of lifestyle <laughs> businesses that like, you know, is 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 a 
in in the lifestyle business it's just too umbrella of a term there's there's people making millions of dollars a year in revenue and profit and they'd still be rev- lifestyle businesses i don't even know <laughs> what that means anymore um but you know we were we were making just you know a decent living with with uh inkling when i started that in, in 2005 so when we did y combinator again in 2011 we this is another one of those mistakes we made i mean we got kind of suckered into this whole and it's our fault but it, somehow we we were drawn to let's see if we can make a billion dollar company a lot of the, so a lot of the ideas that we were trying to come up with were like how can we think about like mega growth and that's why a lot of our ideas were like we need investment dollars because we need to hire a sales staff of you know hundreds of people and um it's just it's wrong it's it's the wrong mindset it's the wrong priorities like i don't know a lot of this stuff like i wouldn't worry about i wouldn't worry about that kind of upside today if it works it works you know if if your company becomes a billion dollar company in the end great but yeah i wouldn't set out to accomplish something like that um because so few, so few people can really accomplish it. And then even those that do, I don't think, you know, don't really, if you look at them and you look at the backstory, it's like, I don't, a lot of them don't even set it up that way. Like, you know, I don't, I don't think Uber was like, oh my God, all it was, was like a couple guys who wanted like black limousines on demand. Right. And then all of a sudden, <laughs> like, you know what, a, a lot of people would like to, you know, get limousines and black cars and taxis and it becomes a billion dollar business i don't think you do a very good job if you like reverse the the thought process but too many people do um i think a lot of the people who are creating decent billion dollar companies they kind of just stumble into the fact that they've found a, a really pent-up demand and they turn these things into billion dollar companies but it doesn't have to be a billion dollar company it could be a hundred thousand dollar company and that's just great one person running a company that that makes their 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 family you know brings in enough money to to help pay for school and and keep everybody healthy and happy like that's that's plenty that's perfect um so i don't know uh that failure in in that second round of y Combinator that really did i don't know check my ambition and, and make me realize like i'm thinking about this wrong so now it's like i I don't even think about the size of this stuff anymore. Um, I really just want to make good products. Like it doesn't even really matter. I mean, I look at hires. I want it to grow and we want it to grow. Growing is good. Um, we're setting up a lot of metrics to growth, but none of it is like, how do we grow exponentially? You know, I'm happy with tiny growth. Um, just as long as, yeah, like we're, we're all, you know, going to be able to build this thing for the long term and keep customers happy for the long term. Um, yeah. And, and having a kid, has helped too. It's like, I don't, I see, I have friends running billion dollar companies and have gone through that. And it's, I've got multiple friends who've checked out of the billion dollar company lifestyle because they have families. And, um, I don't know. There's, there's, uh, yeah. Yeah. There's, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I don't, I've never, I've never run a billion dollar company. So it's like, I don't even know what it takes, what kind of sacrifices, but I do know like, yeah, like having Addison has definitely like, she's first, you know, I, I, maybe if, maybe if I were running, trying to run a mega company, I'd, I'd put her second too often and I'd probably be working more on the weekends and stuff. Like now it's like, I don't, there's multiple weekends. I don't even open up a computer. Mm-hmm. And which is not what it used to be like in my startup days doing Inkling and, and the second Y Combinator startup. Um, so it's my – maybe I, I, I'll never be able to run a billion-dollar company because I just don't care enough about putting my whole life into it. Um, 
sacrificing my relationship with her and my family. So I don't know. It's it's definitely changed how I live my life, but I don't think it can – I mean, look at David and Jason, man. Basecamp is humongous. Mm-hmm. Um and uh, they do really well. And but they still they, are labeled a lifestyle business. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Hence the ridiculousness of this of yeah. this title. But man, Jason's got a kid now. David's got two kids. Um, they David takes plenty of time to be part of his family and drive race cars, and and he lives a very healthy lifestyle, and he does just fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. I people have got to stop thinking they need to sacrifice family for their billion dollar vision and i think we've got to just kill this whole idea of starting a billion dollar company just make something that people want and you'll luck into it or you'll luck into it but i think any uh, any of us i have a kind of a theory that like anyone could start a business um and and make enough money to survive it might not be your first idea it might be like you might have to tweak and iterate it till you finally find what works but like there's enough niches out there you're gonna find enough people to kind of support you in some endeavor Sounds good. That that's about sums it up, Nate. Cool, cool. <laughs> um, well, I thank you so much for being on. I really appreciate taking the time. Yeah. Thanks for listening to the show. You can find out more about us and sign up to receive updates at twocentdad.com. If you liked what you heard or just want to say hi, you can shoot me an email at mike at twocentdad.com. Please leave a review on iTunes if you like the show helps us to get the word out to the most people possible. The podcast production is done by Maria Van Dyken, and the show is made possible through the support of EC Group International, building software teams since 1999.